Greetings and salutations, my fellow geeks, and welcome to episode 27 of the Okie Geek Podcast. I'm Michael Cross. I'm Josh Unruh. I'm Nikki Robinson. And I'm Devin Green. Well, first off, we do want to welcome back Nikki. Yay! Yay. Did you have a good vacation? I had a wonderful vacation, as muchly needed. All good. the kissy face. Yeah. All the face kissing and sleeping that I could ever want. That Yay. might be more than we needed to know, but all right. <laughs> well, she might have meant just actual sleeping. That's true. No, I did mean actual sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Say, I'm a grown-up man. I understand I that. I would have. I would have liked to. Yeah. Um, we are recording this early uh, on Saturday because later this afternoon we're all going to go see Star Wars. Yes, we are very, very I, excited about that. Again. Yeah, I know. This will be my <laughs> second time as well. So traitors. We'll, we'll try not to tell Nikki or Josh. I saved anything about myself it. for this podcast showing. <laughs> That's awfully nice. That's right. <laughs> Me too. Jerks. <laughs> well, yeah. Couldn't help myself. Yeah, hey, no. I got tickets. I got to go see you Thursday night. Uh, our guest this week is Tad Thurston. Uh, he is a professor of physics and astronomy at Oklahoma City University, uh, Oklahoma City Community College, excuse me, Oklahoma City Community College. So, Tad, welcome to, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm already having a blast. So it's Yay. two minutes and that's like a record. So. Yay. All right. So what got you into astrophysics? Why did you want to do this? Golly. Um... I think, and this is the story I tell myself, and I think it might be true. Um, when I was four or five, I remember my dad taking me out to the front yard with uh, binoculars um, to look at the moon. Um, and I remember the, the way it occurs to me now is that I was taken by seeing craters and mountains on the moon, things you can't see with your naked eye. Right. And I just remember thinking that it was profound that there were things that were in the universe that you that weren't accessible to the normal senses. Um, and there was more out there than is normally visible. And, and then I think uh, there were a couple of times that he took me to a stagnant pond. Um, there was in a little path by the house. Uh, and we got a little test tube full of that yeah. stuff and we brought it home and looked under the microscope. And then, so on that scale, drilling down into the microscopic, I saw paramecia and amoeba and all the single celled creatures. And there again, it was just all this stuff that was in a water droplet. And I remember thinking at the time that, you know, is the rest, of the universe like this. I mean, is there so much more than, than meets the eye sort of literally. So I think that got me started that I really wanted to know how everything ticked. Yeah. So, so you could see something on the, the macular scale that, that like all you see is a face on the moon, but if you look closer, there's other things going right. on. And why does it look like that? How right. did it get that way? What, yeah. There's a whole s series of stories I think that are then accessible if you follow it up. Sure. And, and how old were you around then? Yeah. Uh, I want to say five. It, it, oh, you know, hooked you early. Oh, yeah. 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 Very yeah. Good. Definitely got me early. Yep. No doubt. And what did your father do that he was so, I mean, that's just, that's a really great activity for a child. I mean, was it just your father was a naturally curious person or was he a, yeah, a, he of was, a science he, bend? Or? No, not remotely. He, he oh. talked about how he never really knew much math at all. He was music. Um, so he was highly educated. He so he knew more, more math than he thought. Yeah, he, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, more, more than he let on. Yeah, but yeah no, he was, uh, and, and he remembered, I think, virtually everything um, that he ever encountered. So awesome. um, we used to have family reunions of 20 people against him in Trivial Pursuit, and he would win. So, <laughs> wow. um, but he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was in fabulously supportive of everything that I wanted to do. So yeah, it was, it was a great, great environment. Well, in astrophysics, what, what, is there anything new going on right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a remarkable field because we have, um, new orbiting telescopes that are giving us more information all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, information that we've gotten the last, I, I think maybe one of the biggest 
fields is uh, cosmology. When I was in grad school, um, at the beginning of grad school, it was kind of thought to be a, a dead sort of a subject. But then we launched the probes that have measured the microwave background. Mm-hmm. Um, first, Kobe, and then what, 15 years ago or so, we measured it with WMAP to be more precise, to tell us even more about the Big Bang and what happened in the early universe. And now cosmology is just, uh, can I say, an exploding (laughs) (laughs) discovery. Yes, you may. Yes, you can. In fact, I think that pun is well accepted. One of the things I I think I understand is that they've recently discovered that the universe is actually still expanding further than what they thought it was, that it was, it's not going to, it's not retracting as much as it were, Right. So, so do you have a second? Yeah, we have a, we have a, we have a full hour. So, so yeah. yeah, the idea when I was in school, the idea was that the universe was expanding. People have known that since mm-hmm. the 30s. Um, and by that, what we mean is that the apparent, the, the, the velocity of the galaxies away from us is, is, seems to be all positive. They're all running away from us. Right. Um, and we've known that since the 30s. Um, what we didn't know was how fast it was slowing down, how much it was slowing down. Um, we figured it ought to be slowing down because they're all pulling on each other mm-hmm. through the force of gravity. So just like when you throw a rock up in the air, the earth is massive enough to pull it back down again. Maybe there's enough mass in the universe to slow the expansion down to the point where it stops. Uh, and then maybe all comes back together again. Right. Um, that's one possibility. The other one is that it keeps expanding, but keeps slowing down. So we didn't know which of those two was right. So w- what I remember was the research done in the 80s seemed to, in the late 80s, seemed to indicate that there was not enough mass. It always came out to be, if, if I'm remembering right, about a third of the mass necessary. So the idea was the universe would keep on expanding forever, but keep on slowing down. And then we found in the late 90s, which they uh, think um, Saul Perlmutter and um, Brian Schmidt, I think they just got the Nobel Prize what, last year or the year before, for the discovery that actually the universe is doing something that nobody knew, which was it sure was expanding, but it was going faster and faster. And then you say, why is it doing that? Yeah. And then I, that's where we have to move on because <laughs> nobody knows. Uh, all we know is that we gave it a name, which is easy. So we called it dark energy, which is a dumb name. But um, yeah, it's just uh, for some reason, it's sort of an anti-gravity repulsive force on really large scales that Make the universe so it's like the expand, it's like something on the outside is pulling it rather than it's being pulled back in. Yeah, I, I don't know that anybody would say that, but that's sort of what it's like. Yeah, it's as if that's happening. That's amazing. It's sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of those words. Yeah, nobody knows. It's a complete mystery. Yeah, nobody knows why it's going on. I learned very early on that dark energy and dark matter is just science code for we don't know. Dark energy is definitely a code for we don't know. Um, dark matter, um, it's a little bit more, gosh, I'm going to do it again, a little bit more of a gray area, yeah. uh, even a dark gray area. But um, we, we know a little bit more about dark matter than we do about dark energy. Not necessarily what it is, although mm-hmm. there's some good guesses, but how it behaves. We know a lot better. We can map it. Um, we, we, we know that it's there, and we know the distribution. We, we know what the clouds of dark matter look like around galaxies. We can map its distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, we, have to, we don't quite exactly know what it is, but at least it's known more than just by the action of what it's doing, like dark energy. Well, I guess as far as energy is concerned, energy isn't really tangible, and it has at least with dark matter, you can at least right. kind it's, of t- pinpoint it, it's in it some down. sense a thing. Yeah, yeah that a, you can so map, I can yeah. understand where there's a little bit more understood about right. it. And you know, you keep going that way, you're going to have to give it a real name. Right. <laughs> right. And dark matter was, 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 I think, if I remember correctly, was, was the explanation of 
there's more mass, more weight in the universe than we know of, and that's what they 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 dubbed in, in as each, dark matter. Yeah, and, in fact, in each particular galaxy, <clears throat> we we can watch the way that they rotate, right. and the fact that they are they hold together means there must be more mass in there to hold everything there, much more than we see just in stars. So we figure, oh well, there's got to be something else that we're not seeing. Um, and on the surface, it seems like dark matter. Well, it's not very surprising. There's all sorts of things that are quote dark. All, all it means sure. is it, it's not stars. It could be. I mean, the esoteric thing is it could be black holes. Mm -hmm. I mean, then you have to explain where they came from, but forget that for now. But it could be uh, uh, trillions of Jupiter-sized planets. I mean, because they don't glow like stars. Right, and well, Earth itself is not a, is not a, it's not a, you can't, if you were far enough away from Earth, you would not be able to see it except for its reflection, what it reflects the sun So in that sense, Earth is dark matter in that sense. So it doesn't have to be esoteric, but... The really it sounds that way. It, yeah. sounds, <laughs> it yeah. sounds that way. But the really interesting thing um, is that by studying cosmology and you, looking at the microwave background, we can put upper limits on how much ordinary stuff like atoms there are in the universe. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough to account for dark matter. So the really interesting thing is that we do know that the amount of dark matter that there is to hold galaxies together can't be ordinary stuff. It's got to be whatever the heck it is, and nobody knows exactly what it is yet. But it can't be ordinary, what we call baryonic matter, protons, neutrons, electrons, um, which is which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. Very, very exciting. And they say that the, the they, they still predict that the universe, the Big Bang, happened about 13 to 15 billion years ago, correct? Yeah, now they're putting two decimal points on it. So I, if I remember, I think it's 13.8. So they're actually one. getting much more specific. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the recent background measurements have pretty much nailed it. Because it was actually, I mean, if, I think when I was taking science in back you know, back in the 70s, I think they'd only given like, like something like five or six billion years or something like that. Yeah, what I remember was in the late 80s, early 90s, it was the, the usual number was 15 uh, plus or minus five. Anyway, yeah. so that's yeah, 10 maybe to 20. that was a 10, 10 billion. About maybe. 10 to 20, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere so, in there. So now it's just being they've narrowed. They've really down. gotten much more specific. Yeah. Okay, great. Wow. So how did you. How did you finally make the decision to be an astrophysicist, and why? Gosh, that's a good one. Um, I, I, I was a, when I was a freshman in college, I was an engineer, mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> I, I teach right now a lot of engineers, so I like telling them the story um, because they, they like being engineers, and so I try to needle them. Buckle um, up, engineers! Right? Yeah, <laughs> hold on to your hats. Uh, <laughs> when I was. I, I might have even been a sophomore, but I remember taking an engineering class where we were drafting um, and uh, practicing. And see, back then, because we didn't have CAD software and all that. So anyway, I, we were practicing drafting uh, parts, gaskets, and things like that, uh, how to draw these parts. And I remember I went from that class to, because I'd always been interested in astronomy, I was taking an astronomy class. And so I went straight from drafting to, I remember going to the class and we were talking about supernova. And... That for me was such a fantastically big phase transition from drafting gaskets to talking about supernova that suddenly I started balancing like, well, wait a minute. Um, I kind of like one thing more than the other. (laughs) Uh, And it was right around that time when I first read the novel Contact by Carl Sagan. So, all you know, in life, all these things kind of come together. So it it occurred to me that the heroine, um, Ellie Arroway, was an astrophysicist and I guess I never took seriously that that could actually be a, a, a thing, an occupation. Yeah. And then there was some Nova program where a guy gets out of his truck and goes in an observatory and it said, you know, blah, 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 astrophysicist. And I thought, you know, so I, I, I guess you could do that. And so I looked in the college catalog and that was an actual major. And I thought, well, I'd 
Well, like being told you can be a rocket scientist. Yeah. Like, the rocket science is actually a job. Yeah, well, I think uh, I'll, I'll do that. It's, it's not just a punchline. <laughs> <is it? laughs> or a brain surgeon. <laughs> right. I actually know a bona fide rocket scientist, actually, from OU. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He has a shirt, as a matter of fact. I am a rocket scientist. Yeah, NPR <laughs> did something, uh, you all probably know, but the thing about, well, it's not rocket science, but then they talk to rocket scientists. Well, what do you guys say? <laughs> well, it's not brain surgery. And they <laughs> talk to brain surgeons and say, it all nice. kind of went full circle. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Do you still get into uh, and I, I say this because I, this past week the Geminid meteor shower happened did you do you still get out and watch the meteor showers? Does that still excite mm, yeah. you at all? It does uh, I just don't. I'm just lazy. I, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, he's getting up really late. Yeah, at night. see in school I was more of a theorist. I, I, I never really had a project where I went out and used the telescope. Um, so frankly, I, I'm, I'm embarrassingly kind of ignorant on how the big telescopes work, um, and how observational astronomy in particular, I mean, I know, you know, the broad overviews of how it works, but, right. but I never really did it much. So, um, I, I've done some talks at the local, the Oklahoma city astronomy club has a strong club and a strong program. I've given talks there and I've gone with them to Northwest Oklahoma and we've done observing out in the, uh, panhandle where it's really dark and it was, it's wonderful. Um, and I keep a school telescope at my house uh, more than I probably should. <laughs> this doesn't go out to public, right? Like, yeah, no one's going to know about this. No okay, one's going to hear it. Um, <laughs> Nobody listens. And, and so I, try, I, I drag it in the backyard and I look at stuff uh, so as often as I can. But yeah. um, I, but I, it's, as far as like the local events, I, I don't get out as often as I should mm-hmm. and as often as I want to to go look at them. So the meteor shower I, I completely missed uh, earlier this week. Um, I, I thought, oh, yeah, I, I, I remembered there was one, and then I didn't go do it. So. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't get as much press as, like, the Leonids. I, I don't know right. why. But maybe it's because it's cold right now. And yeah. so no one's, it, no it's one a wants little to go bit of a task to go out and be like, oh. Well, and to wait from, like, five when it's dark at, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon and then wait all the time. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, this time of year, just no. And it was so beautiful this week, too, and it wasn't that cold. So it would have yeah. been perfect. It is that cold. It was Today. Cold. Today, today is cold. Yeah, but it was earlier. Yes. Couple days, but I mean, when you were up <laughs> know, at that time, it would have been. I just don't like this time of year. <laughs> I, I was not up. <laughs> I, I have, and I've actually, I actually stayed up and watched the Geminids back about ten years ago or something like that, and uh, it's it's wonderful because on, especially in the winter time, you tend to get these really clear. Yeah, right. You know, if it's clear, it's clear, to, mm-hmm. and you go out into the country where you're not having to have any deal with any of this uh, light pollution. Pollution, yeah. then you can really see some great. Meteor showers. Summertime, you get the haze and the, yes, the water exactly. vapor in the atmosphere. It's just too humid. You can't see much. But on a clear, cold winter night. It's spectacular. Yeah. But of course, it is cold. <laughs> That's the problem. Most people don't want to exactly. go out in that cold. I have something I would like to talk about. Um, as far as, um, you know, most people think scientists, very strong science individual. But you actually veer from that and take part of your dad's side. You're actually a thespian, aren't you? No. Yeah, that's a, uh, <laughs> it's sort of a recent thing. I, I, I don't claim any expertise, but um, it's fun. And, and I, I I think, you know, at this age, you don't do things like that if it wasn't fun because mm-hmm. it demands a lot of time. But yeah, I guess starting about four years ago, I just sort of drifted into um, the community theater scene around Oklahoma City, which is actually really strong, mm-hmm. um, and uh, started getting cast in some local plays. And it's been wonderful. I mean, you do one and then you find out about a couple more. And so you try that and you find out how you meet people sure. and they grow to be sort of a family and boy, it's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just, I, it, it's hard to explain exactly what it is that's so appealing about it, but um, it's just a chance to sort of, I don't know, ha- have life experiences in a whole new direction to inhabit other people's roles and other times. And 
critically analyze the work as you go into it. And I, I don't know, it's just a, it's fun. It's draining and it's exhausting, but it's, it's yeah. fun. So what are some of the roles you've played that you've um, enjoyed? Let's see. Well, it's hard to pick because I've enjoyed all of them. Um, uh, they're, you know, all, all, all my kids are nice. Right. Uh, but yeah, I guess one of the first was a Sherlock Holmes I did up here at the Jewel Box. I've done several here at the Jewel Box locally. So Jewel Box, um, uh, the Sherlock Holmes, there was one called End Days just next door here at Carpenter Square. Yeah. Um, it was really affecting uh, that had both Jesus and Stephen Hawking as characters. So oh, you can't go wrong with that. No. <laughs> uh, let's see. So some of the cla- like Philadelphia story, we did that. Um, oh, wow. uh, well, I got to be Jimmy Stewart trying not to do a Jimmy Stewart impression. That yeah. was <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the most recent one that just wrapped is um, uh, the four poster, which was uh, just a two person cast. So that was the biggest challenge I think of all was trying to, help with you know the help of my castmate to carry the show for two sure. hours when it's just two people talking mm-hmm. uh is a is a big challenge is so. that here carpenter square as well? it, it, that's uh, up at the jewel box directed okay. by uh, i did i did jewel box Reynolds, a couple times. Yeah. i love that that, that uh, it's, theater is it's so fully immersive yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're basically sitting in their lap that's right it, mm-hmm. it, yeah you uh you're really in, in the, the scene lap, yeah. yeah yeah that's terrific do you find that in Preparing for roles, do you maybe some of your scientific method of like dissecting the character is yeah, I used? Think, I, I think so. The way that, I mean, every person, every actor, I think, has a different method for mm-hmm. how they get into the role. But what's effective for me is is um, a real analysis. Yeah. Uh, and so far, I mean, a lot the, the directors I've worked with have been really uh, behind that and, and really supportive of that and, and really helped me learn how to analyze works, analyze scenes and what the character's going through and why are they doing that? And I'm not buying that and let's do that again. <laughs> so, but it, it's just, it, it's fantastic. So yeah, I don't know. I, I suppose that an analytic um, kind of a bent helps. Um, I, I, but I, I would hesitate to say that's because of the science. I just think, because mm-hmm. there's lots of artistic people that are equally as analytic. So I think it's just a, a method for getting somewhere that serves you both in the arts and in the sciences. But Okay, I have a professional question. (laughs) So I have uh, a young son at home who is very much, like has wanted to go to the planetarium since he was two and is very, very interested. We joke about we've got a burgeoning astrophysicist. But his mother and I are terrified because we're bad at math and science. Um, How do you feel about, in a professional capacity, those shows like how the universe works and things like that? Um, Do uh, Let me come at it from the... uh, I'm an armchair historian. My wife's uh, undergraduate is in history, and most of the History Channel's shows give us hives. And I'm wondering if it's the same way for, um, are we doing him a service, uh, letting him learn from from those kinds of shows, or do we need to step up our game? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <it's> a- <laughs> I like these cut and dried answers. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, it, you are doing, you are doing, is it him? Yes. Yes, you're doing him a service. Um, I, I think... Yeah, so if you look at them from the perspective of a professional, um, yeah, they can they, they can give you highs. I, I can pick on them for getting such and such wrong and so on. But I think, especially for kids, the thing to build into them is enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Um, without and, and there are limits. I mean, you don't want them to be enthusiastic about stuff that's nuts or you, you know you, that there, there's a line. But in general, I think if they're excited about the thing that they're watching, I think that's the main thing. Okay. Um, and, and, and I take that into um, teaching as well. If I'm teaching students in 
general astronomy who are not going to take an astronomy two class. And this is the only science class they're ever going to take. Um, I, I'm not actually, and, and, and hopefully they don't know this. I, I, I'm not actually, well, I guess I tell them. I, I'm not actually that concerned with the details that they take away from the class. What, what I want them to remember when they leave is just an appreciation for what it is that we do and, sure. and, and the appreciation for the results and the appreciation of the world that they live in and so on. They're not going to remember details of the tables or whatever if they memorize during class. And, and the same thing is true with the kids. I don't know that they would take in details like that um, as much as just an enthusiasm for the subject in particular. Why is it exciting that we know something about history or why somebody did something? That's that's the part that you want them to carry away. So, yeah, I think it's great. Okay, um, good. There you go. That, <laughs> now, having said that, some are definitely better than others. There, there, there are some that I think they get so wound up, especially in the science shows. Um, this is probably true in the history shows too, that they get so wound up in the special effects um, that sometimes it's not clear to even specialists what it is we're supposed to be looking at and what it has to do with the narrative behind it. But, you know, again, I, I think they're just trying to be That's one of the problems I had with the, the Cosmos. The, the, uh, I, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson, but the Cosmos yeah. show that he did, it was he brought in Fox, and so they tried to put in all these special effects, and he was in a spaceship and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, you kind of lose me because this is science. It become, they they um, try to make it almost too much science fiction. So if you put in science fiction then you lose the science fact. Yeah. And, and I think they didn't, uh, and I love that program, yeah. but, but there were aspects of it where I, I thought they didn't appreciate enough how much charisma he actually had that correct. You, oh, you, yeah. you don't want to upstage that guy with special effects. Cause he's good <clears throat> enough just standing there and talking, which we uh, could. I mean, I, yeah. he, he could sit in an empty room and just talk. He has a very I, successful yeah. podcast. I was going to say, I was there and talk. So we can just talking about science. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know why you would do that. But I do, I do like shows like that. I mean, anything on OATA right now. And that's why I thought, because they was with Cosmos. They tried to move it from OATA to Fox and made it big and huge and, yeah. and special effects-y. And I'm like, I don't, I don't need that. I just I was curious as to what things were going on. But um, then I guess that's why the show, I don't think, lasted as long as it should It's fine. Have. It's Fox. They'll cancel it. It'll be fine. Well, they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they it did. lasted they like did. 13 <laughs> episodes. And, and so it, you know, it lasted longer than... Um, don't. <laughs> okay, we won't go there. Walk away. <laughs> so I know that uh, each astrophysicist has a specific field that they tend to study into. What's yours? In grad school, mine was how particular elements change. Well, see, anybody talking about their PhD thesis is going <laughs> to it's going to bore everyone because it's <laughs> so detailed and specific. Um, for example, get ready, kids, uh, to be excited. The, um, you might have wondered, how does nitrogen change in spiral galaxies over the course of billions of years? Well, I can tell you because uh, that's I, exactly what I wrote about. So, that actually sounds really interesting. Uh, no, 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 it did. Are you talking about how, how it what do you what do you mean by change? Oh, you're gonna you're gonna ask a follow up. Uh, um, right in the wheelhouse. Yeah. Like, that's what we do. Yeah. We just throw Serve meat it up. And potatoes pitches. Serve that's it what, up. Uh, what so changes occurring? Nitrogen is made by different elements are made by different types of stars. Um, mm -hmm. Hydrogen is not made by anybody. It was created in the Big Bang. Um, helium was also created in the Big Bang and to a lesser extent in stars. And then as you go up the periodic table, different elements are created in different places. Small stars can create elements up to, let's say, carbon. Uh, they confuse them. That's where the elements come from, carbon right. and oxygen it's that we're added, made of. And yeah. so. um, but small stars can't go really beyond that. So if you want to make nitrogen, oxygen, neon, magnesium, all the way up to iron, those come from different populations. Those come from massive stars. Um, and then if you go beyond iron, uh, all the way up to uranium or whatever, then you need supernova explosions to do that, which come from, again, massive stars. So 
when you fold into that, that small stars that make a lot of the light elements live a really long time, it takes them a long time to process those and evolve, but massive stars it, comparatively are like a blink. Um, they're formed and then almost immediately they die and process all these elements. And so the way that they change over time is to an astrophysicist anyway, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and that we can chart that as time goes by and build models of how it should have changed over time. And then we can go look at galaxies that are, if you want to know what it was like 5 billion years ago, you'll look, go look at a galaxy that's 5 billion light years away right. and you can check it out and you can see. And we're talking about cosmological time too. I mean, the blink of an eye for a star, it's, that's, that's you know, right. what millions of years. Right. If yeah. a massive star lives for a million years in our cosmological models, we pretty much don't even fold that in because that's about the limit as to the size of the little time steps we use in the model. Right. So that's effectively, a whenever a massive star is made, yeah. it dies immediately, <laughs> even though it's a million years for us. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I do have, uh, we did, uh, we shot, shot out on uh, our podcast on Twitter for questions, and we did actually get some questions from some of our listeners. So, uh, yeah, uh, so we've got uh, Alexio, uh, Alexi Brohanan uh, wrote out, uh, are other dimensions real or are they, or are they, are they at least possible? Yeah, the, the, these are hard things to answer because it depends on what you mean by real. Uh, yeah. and, and what do we mean by dimensions? And also? It depends on what you mean by dimensions. That's right. So it, it turns out it's it's useful for us to think about things like time as a sort of fourth dimension. Right. Uh, mathematically, it works out great. And in special relativity, that's how we work problems. Um, is it really a fourth dimension, like a fourth spatial dimension? Well, no. Um, so, it, yeah, again, it, you kind of get hung up in definitions. Um but what we can say is that mathematically we do need, if you want to believe in things like the string theory, right. um, you need extra dimensions to make the math work. Um, what those extra dimensions might be like, um, nobody really knows that. Uh, but mathematically we can describe it just fine, whether we can imagine it or not. Um, the math works out great. So are they possible? Sure. There's no reason why they're not. Can you give um, an, uh, like a Reader's Digest version of what string theory is? I keep hearing it all the time, but I don't actually know what. And I, it might be too hard to, to explain, which is why I don't have an explanation in my head. People a lot smarter than me have written long books trying to explain well, that's what, what I'm saying. Is. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it roughly uh, it's it's sort of like this. Um, there are things called elementary particles. Most people know protons, neutrons, and electrons roughly right. make up okay. all the normal matter. So. But then you go further, what are protons and neutrons, and what are all those made of? Well, protons and neutrons are made of quarks. quarks. They have three each. Um, electrons are not. They're totally different, which is weird. Um, so now we have quarks and electrons, basically. Th those are the two sort of families. Electrons belong to a family. But anyway, those are the fundamental things. And you say, what are they made of? Well, right now, we think they aren't made of anything. They're, they're fundamental, whatever that means. Um, one way of describing what that might mean is that they are something akin to notes played by a guitar. So you might strum a particular string and out of it comes a particular note. That note might represent some sort of a fundamental particle. Um, if, if the string were tuned to a slightly different frequency, you get a different and you strum it, you might get a different note. So these strings, which might be, then you say, what are the strings made of? Well, then, then we stop talking because right. there's no <laughs> note. But, if there are such things as little strings vibrating in particular resonances and particular frequencies, those can represent the properties of what we think of as fundamental particles. Um, so it's just another level of abstraction. Um, but it's and people have carried that to sort of poetic extremes that there's you know the the the, the harmonies of the cosmos and the, the fact that everything is like beautiful music and you know that's cool. That's a 
probably just a human construct, but it's neat. Um, but loosely, that's what it is, is trying to explain what the fundamental things are. Yeah. And it turns out that mathematically, it's kind of elegant that you can describe them as vibrations of really fundamental little strings. Um, and it's been claim by some of the people who work in the area that you can derive all sorts of things like uh, the theory of gravity tends to fall out um, at least so, I, I'm no expert on that but the, the theory of gravity purportedly tends to fall out of some formulations of string theory naturally so it makes some predictions like well if those are such little strings it'll be such and such laws you get things like gravity and electromagnetism and so on. Um, that all comes from the strings. That all comes from yeah. the strings yeah and that's sort of the holy grail of of Fundamental physics now is trying to figure out the origin of these forces. Why is gravity so weak? Uh, what, what's the relationship between all these forces? Why yeah. are there four? Um, that's kind of where they're at, I think. That's really cool. See, I, that's just amazing. Um, I had a question from, uh, see, this is uh, Ken Ragsdale, uh, at Ken underscore Ragsdale, says, when does light bend? And I'm not quite sure I understand that question, but does that make sense to you? Yeah, well, there's the... There's the easy sense to answer the question that it bends when it goes through a lens or through water, uh, you know, materials that are more dense. Right, right. Um, also, it turns out Einstein, this is the hundredth year of his general relativity, and, and Einstein forecast that light would bend around massive objects, that they would act like a lens. Um, and such a thing was measured back in 1919. So basically light bends when it goes around anything that's massive. Um, so perhaps that's what... How massive means. are we talking about? It's well, a, it bends a little bit around things that aren't very massive. And then it bends... It, it was measured in um, uh, during a solar eclipse when a star goes behind the sun. And we could measure the position of the star when it was behind the sun and then not behind the sun. And we found out that it shifted just a little bit. So it's any kind... Anything with mass can actually right. affect a, a light. Because not, Einstein said that any mass warps the space around it a little bit. And so the light just follows the space. And so if it's warped a little bit, then the light bends a little bit. Okay. If it's a black hole, if it's a black hole, you right. can have the ultimate thing where a light can actually orbit the black hole. And, and that's kind of cool. That's like, sort of the ultimate bending, I guess. Which is, which is that's where you get the... The, 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 the swirly... Yeah, and that where you get that idea behind. Obviously, I don't think anyone's actually seen it, but that... What do they call that? That's there's a word for the the, the swirly stuff around the black hole. Yeah, the, the accretion disc. The accretion yeah. disc. Yes. yes. Yeah, the accretion <laughs> disc is actual material around the black hole. But that's the if you just follow that in a little bit more, it, and I can't. Maybe it's the ergosphere or something. I can't remember what it is. Oops. Um, but but there's a talk with your hands. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a uh, there's a certain sphere around the black hole that is light that's trapped in in a rotating orbit around the black hole, um, which is kind of cool inside the event horizon, which is neat. The event horizon. That was the also the yeah. thing I was thinking about. Yeah. That's the fun part. The that, Horizon. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you get so if that's fun by yeah, certain that, that's metrics fun. of fun. <laughs> yeah. So does that now? So <laughs> then, how do we know for certain where fundamental forces? If 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 light is bending, you gotta go <laughs> as it's as it's reaching the Earth. How do we know that the light that's you know say 50, uh, from a star that's 15 billion years away is where we're looking at it? How do we know it's not been bent in some way or form from another? Does that make sense? Maybe I'm sure. Maybe no, no, that's a great question. And 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 what we do is is you look at. Um, it, it, like, like, like the kids today, they, they have the Google. And so you can Google uh, <laughs> gravitational lensing. And so when you look at distant pictures of galaxies, sometimes they're bent into arcs or they're bent into multiple images. Uh, in fact, I think just last week I saw that there was a picture of a supernova that went off in a galaxy that had a galaxy in the foreground, a massive galaxy in the foreground, and the light was split into four images. So we have four images of that supernova. 
which is awesome. And, and, and there's still another one yet to come because the light to come hasn't quite reached us yet because it's taken a slightly longer path around that galaxy. Oh, so we wow. think we might be able to catch it actually going uh, up. That's crazy. It's so awesome. So, yeah, so, so you're exactly right. When you look at distant things, occasionally you can tell that the light's been bent. And that's how we can map the distribution of dark matter, for right. example. Right, there's because something it's out there bending the light. Right, dark matter is completely transparent, but it has gravity. So we look at pictures of distant galaxies, and then we can map the distortions, and we can know that there's this cloud of invisible stuff in front of it. Um, it's amazing. That's and and isn't that really also how, that's how we're finding out exoplanets as well, is, is we're, we're measuring how something is, some, there's gravity out there. Something is moving, and we're finding, like when it crosses in front of a sun, and it bends the light in that, in that some, somewhat there. Yeah, the, the first way that we found exoplanets was to look at the little wobble that stars make because when planets go around them, they, they, they tug on the star them, yeah. a little bit. Um, and now you're right. What they do now is they look for the little eclipses. So as you look at a star, um, like when the sun, if you were back in the solar, like maybe at Jupiter or Saturn's position, if the Earth went in front of the sun, we would block the light from the sun, it'd sure. be a little eclipse, but not much because we're only yeah, it's just a one hundredth yeah. the size of the sun. So a hundredth and square that. So it's only, we, we only block one ten thousandth of the light from the sun, but the telescopes are so good now. The, the, like the Kepler satellite is so good that when it watches a star, it can tell if the light from the star dims by a factor of one out of 10,000, you get this little blip. Uh, and when you look at the little blip that doesn't last very long, you know, Oh, that's a little eclipse. Mm -hmm. um, and if, so if the solar system happens to be edge on, we can catch these little blips if there are planets moving right in front. And so we can tell um, that there are planets there. And by looking at the blips, we can tell things like what the orbits are, how far away they are from the sun. And now the exciting thing is that you can compare. Now the spectra is so good. You can right. look at the spectra of the star before the eclipse and as the eclipse is happening. And then you take the difference and then you can, then you're looking at the spectra of the planet. And so you can tell if there's water vapor in the atmosphere. Awesome. And you can tell sometimes, wow. I guess, what some of the elements are. Exactly. Yeah, whether it's made of water vapor, right. nitrogen in the atmosphere, or right. methane, or what it, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So we can kind of tell. We're looking at exoplanets. We're going, okay, we kind of know what what's in, at least in the atmosphere, what's, what, what's doing, what it's doing to the light as it's going through the atmosphere. Right. Yeah, we can tell what the atmosphere is made of from... 100 light years away. It's fantastic. That yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. You're, you're basically talking to a room full of the kids who want to live at Omniplex. <laughs> and that's our, I think that's our audience. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Many, there many are people there listening, as, by the as way. As a kid also. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, having, having actually spent the night at the Omniplex, you don't, yes. and it's you, you the science museum, by the Oklahoma. way. Oklahoma. Yeah. It'll yeah never you don't actually want to When we were kids, it was Omniplex. I'm just saying. You don't want to like, I, uh, I, floors I, are hard. I stayed there overnight <laughs> as a kid, and I did want to live there. Okay. I, right. I made a plan to stow away. Stow away? And it, was it in the treehouse? No, it was the planetarium. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, I'm sorry, the people that run that thing. It just always is the Omniplex. I can't go uh, Yeah, I, they, I they understand. Yeah, it's they, burned they, into they, my they head. Do. It is for they us. They know we it love is, them. It's for our generation. I mean, the, the, our kids' generation will probably be able to yeah. do science. For an hour. We did. I almost let it slip once. And it actually got, I think I called out on Twitter, too, about, you know, yeah. We usually know it's an omniplex, too. I did it on the air. I didn't call you out Hey, man. I'm saying they understand. <laughs> yeah. All right. I've got a question from David Sollers, and he asks, why do planets seem to spin at different rates, have different day-slash-night cycles, regardless of their diameter or mass? Yeah. Man, I don't know if I can answer that. That's really <laughs> good. There's so much that go into planetary dynamic, how the planet formed, um, what collisions, like we think... Um, uh, one, one example is Ju uh, uh, Venus is the only planet that rotates the wrong direction. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, wrong being that's not like all the other planets. Because mm -hmm. all the other planets go around the sun in the same way. They all rotate around their axis the same way, uh, except Venus. Venus goes 
backwards, but only a little bit. It's it almost doesn't rotate at all, um, but it goes backwards slightly. Um, in addition, Venus is weird because its surface was completely reformed uh, like 500 million years ago. See here again, maybe I'm wrong, right? So somebody who knows Venus is going to say no, it was 350 or mm-hmm. what, uh, whatever, you know. It's, anyway, You're so not, not that <laughs> long ago, it was it Science did change. Yeah, right. well, yeah. have, uh, uh, so, but but what we think maybe happened was that there was a tremendous impact on Venus that long ago that simultaneously did because that would explain both things. It would explain why the surface got repaved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also explained if it hit an oblique angle, it could have you know changed the rotation of Venus too. So why planets rotate at the rates they do is so tied up in the things that happened as and as they're forming and after they formed. Uh, I don't know, and people, and again, I'm no expert in planetary astrophysics mm-hmm. anyway. Um, I sort of communicate what the experts have to say. Um, so experts might might say, oh no, there's a clear correlation between the whatever. So maybe there is, but I, I'm not aware of it. I, it I, seems I just fairly know, random. It, 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 is, it is true that really massive planets tend to rotate faster, right. um, probably because they formed out of bigger gas clouds. And just like a figure skater that pulls her arms in, she starts spinning faster. If there's more mass that mm. shrinks down into a planet, it can maybe tend to rotate faster at the end. Um, but just as I say that, I know we're going to find some planet in sure. another solar system that's big and hardly rotates at all. So always we find well that uh, that word tend example is a magic word. That's right. They tend, <laughs> tend to, to spin right. Faster. In our solar system, that tends to be true. Yeah. Well, it's just like saying that Venus is going wrong. Well, the rest of these in the solar system could be wrong. We could go out to a system where all the ones move like Venus and go. Oh well, wait a minute. Oh, we're, <laughs> the right. we're, we're the outliers. Is, yeah. 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 There are since we all think we formed out of a large rotating disk, there are reasons to believe why we think it all ought to be uniform and they all ought to be going the same direction. But if there's lots of impl- impacts and interplay between the planets sure. and colliding debris. Who knows what, what eventually would happen? Well, isn't that how we say that the, we're, the, the latest theory is that's how the moon, how we got the moon. Right. We a got a collision right. while, yeah. we, while we were still forming and it created almost a twin planet but wasn't as big and that's how the moon came about. Right, right. That's the, that's the current accepted idea. Yeah. Which is just amazing because it also slowed us down. That's right. If it hadn't been for that collision, we would we would be spinning too fast for life to be created. And the moon is still spiraling away slightly every right. year, about the same amount that the continents are separating, which totally has nothing to do with each other. But but it's it's a nice it's fact. Anyway. <laughs> we might find it does. <laughs> now the the fiftieth anniversary of the Gemini uh, space shuttles meeting just happened. Uh, there was a, a great thing at the History Center with. Um, Weatherford native Tom Stafford, who was one of the pilots, and um, Jim Lovell, who was the other pilot who would eventually do the Apollo 13. And it just made me think about exploration. Are, do you, are you disappointed that, for example, we haven't visited the moon in almost in more than 40 years? Gosh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a tragedy. Um, but that we lost the will to do it. Um, once we had done it, and it was clear, I think, that the Soviets would not do it, um, and then once we hit financial hard times with the oil embargo and things that happened, mm-hmm. you know, right at the tail end of the Apollo mission, um, I think all the will just completely left. Um, and it's not that we didn't do great things after that. I mean, the, because right after that, NASA started funding the, the Voyager mission. Mm-hmm. So we had these incredibly successful probes, the unmanned probes. But the fact that the manned spaceflight uh, missions were canceled after that and, and just and, and there seemed to be no appetite for doing it, I think, is a... I think it's a real tragedy. And I think the other answer was somebody who said, well, you know, what else could we do? We've been there. But there's probably more we could do at the moon if we were there right now. Yeah. And, you know, now there's a big push for Mars um, mm-hmm. to get to Mars, which on the human level, I understand it. We're explorers. Um, it pumps us up to have 
to, to go to other places and explore new frontiers and so on. That's what we do as, as a species. That's great. Um, but I would like to see us sort of conquer the moon first. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's, there's sort of lots of obvious reasons why we should try to make at least a little base, even semi-occupied uh, on the moon first before trying Mars. I mean, it's closer. It's closer. <laughs> and and we, we would be able to launch things from the moon a lot easier than we're exactly. launching things from the Earth. That's and right. you get to say moon base. Yeah, and, right. and it's a thing. <laughs> it would be a moon real Moon base thing. is something I've been wanting to say. <laughs> exactly. A child. Yeah, one of my favorite movies is Contact. And, you know, they, have, they, 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 they give her the little uh, suicide pill, you know, and they say, we can think of a thousand reasons why you should take this with you. But it's the reasons we can't think of which is why we really sure. want you to have. And it's the same thing to me with moon bases. We can think all we want about the troubles we're going to have in colonizing Mars or putting a base on Mars, but there are going to be a million things we never thought that would be a problem or things that would crop up that I think we ought to sort of rehearse on the moon first before going anywhere else. Sure. But yeah, it's a tragedy. We could be so much farther than we were. But we have, yeah, as you mentioned, we have done more toward exploration. We've gotten uh, Voyager, I think, is, has already left our solar system now. Right. And, uh, so there's there's things that are that we have done. We just yeah, unfortunately, there's not a human eye out there. Right. Yeah. There's Galileo, Cassini. There, there there's fabulous things that we've done in the solar system. But um, yeah, as far as man flight, we really we've never left low Earth orbit after that. Yeah. So. And even Mars. Uh, for the longest time, we were shooting things at Mars. Nothing was working. And now we've got rovers, and we've got right. I mean, I think that's only been for the past 15 years that we actually got things we've sent, and they're working. And they're yeah, working fantastically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. They're supposed to. They're designed to work for what three months or six months, and six they're working. Six months was out. The first years. one was supposed to be six months. Yeah. Well, and, and then it's still crawling around. What's the one? The the IE the the one they caught they caught again. They shot, launched like in 1986, and it was supposed to land in between the sun and and Venus. The, uh, <laughs> I'm so blank too. I know what you're talking about. I just was listening to a podcast. But it was yeah. It's an, it's another spacecraft that it was supposed to like die ten years ago, yeah. and and it's like thirty years old. And like, like, Hi guys. Oh, it's still there. Oh, there it is. We just had to reboot it. <laughs> they do amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't follow the sarcastic rover on Twitter, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's your loss. I don't know if you guys you guys follow that. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Oh, it's pretty. Sarcastic rover is awesome. Oh man, that's that one down. And they're they're. Going to launch a new telescope soon, the James Webb Telescope. Right, as mm-hmm. supposed to be the successor to Hubble. Yeah. Um, except it sees a little bit more in the infrared, I think, than Hubble. Yeah. Um, so it's not exactly there's, a thing that you could like look through, but it, it's. There's lots of mirrors. Lots of mirrors. Yeah. Lots and, of mirrors. and Hubble I know the, is was eighty late eighties, wasn't that when Hubble was launched? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, early it was planned then. Yeah, I think launched in the early 90s. 93, I think, was the there, maybe, yeah. the, the retrofit to, to fix its so vision. So it's over 20 years old. Right. Yeah, so yeah it needs... We, we need another one. Time to put well, we need a fleet there. of them up Wait, there. Wait, is that yeah. the one that has the PlayStation processor in it? In one of the... Te- in one of the... Either the probes or one of the telescopes, there is the same processor that the PlayStation 2 has. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, and another thing that we could do if we had a base on the moon... Play video have games. Teles- well, have telescopes up there because there's no atmosphere. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Right. And you could actually control it a little oh. bit better than, than you know. You were talking about telescopes. I was, I was, I was still with the Hubble. <laughs> and yeah, yes, there's, no, there's no atmosphere. There's no radio right. interference. There, yeah, there's all no, sorts of stuff. And all that pollution do, and all that. Oh, yeah. Nice jazz just to warp the images. And you throw yeah. it out to the, well, of course, I guess, I wrote to someone talks about the dark side of the moon. It's like not technically the dark side. <laughs> the it's just the side that's not reflecting it's the, the It's the side you can't see, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
which See, which, which just which, like dark matter, dark energy. We don't know Science it. We don't know. It. It's dark something. We don't know. I think dark is just, you know, it's got that feel to it. I mean, it, it looks like a sphere, but, you know, we've never been over there. So. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a triangle on the other side. There could the be people. Live, if you watch the History Channel, there are people. That's where Pink, Pink Floyd yeah. got it's the name of its album. That's yeah. just Aliens. <laughs> they, they built the pyramids. Yeah. Hello. The Japanese believe that there are white rabbits all over the surface of the moon. I love that rabbit in the moon story. I love the rabbit in the moon story. So decent segue, because I'm curious now. I think um, that from what I understand, uh, you are a science nerd, but also this has led you to geekery of various types. Are you more science fiction kind of guy, or do you feel like that's the day job and you want to read about dragons and elves or whatever? Where's your your head at there? I, I think I'm not nearly as well read as I'd like to be um, in, in a lot of things. I, 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 w- I would have liked to read a lot, read a lot more classics. Um, I, I'm a big Shakespeare fan. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I was a big science fiction geek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I read a lot of Heinlein, um, a lot of Bradbury and so on. And, and now I don't remember a lot of it. So, so I remember reading <laughs> some of the story and, and I know people will talk about some of the stories. And I'm like, golly, it's been, you know, let's say, 30 years or more since I've read some of that stuff. And, and I can't, I can't remember. Hey, I've had that experience. I've got to re-experience classic things because oh, yeah. I early adopted them. And then you've read it. I'm not yeah. going to read it again, except, yeah. you know, that's what I'm doing. Right. Or, forget. A decade or two goes by and you're like, I'm a little fuzzy on those details. Yeah. I think the yeah. Star Trek, uh, the Star Trek there I'm going. So yeah, I think the, the uh, science fiction that I've ingested most were things like, um, uh, Star Trek, because I did that growing up, and then mm-hmm. I was a kind of a religious next generation addict uh, when I was coming out every week. Yeah. Um, but some of the other science fiction series that I'm told are really, really good, I never saw. And I don't, again, and that's another thing I don't have an explanation for. So life <laughs> kind of gets in the way, and I was watching other things. Um, so uh, recently I've been watching like a Fringe, trying to catch up mm. on uh, that show, which I'm sort of in the middle of. No spoilers. Um, <laughs> you quite uh, good. It made it let me forgive JJ Abrams. There like, you go. But it made it, it okay. led to today, friend. It led That's to, right. It led <laughs> to, to today. To yeah. eventually watching it Star Wars. To Star Wars, because I wouldn't have if that was if Fringe didn't exist. Because Lost. Oh, now yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole other See, conversation. Sort of, yeah, we'll I have know. See, that's sort of my favorite series of all time. So I, Lost. I, oh yeah. Really? Oh, it's terrific. Even with the ending. Love the ending. Wow. Really? It's right, so terrible. A, I, think you're, I think you're a first. Be nice yeah, to yeah, the guests. I will. Then we're going to have a fist fight. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think no. it's wonderful. I'm fascinated nice by people who like the, the ending. We decided, we decided I just long don't ago. Get it. Listen to that. I'm fascinated by people that like the ending. <laughs> I could read so much into that statement. <laughs> Be nice to the guests, Devin. <laughs> okay. We, we did actually decide a long time ago that, that people like and dislike different things. And I mean, for example, you know, Next Generation. I loved Next Generation. I love Next Generation. Um, I loathe the Next Generation. <laughs> well, we we decided a long time ago that you can't be a true geek and and you know and not, and not appreciate someone else's absolutely. thoughts on. Something. There are people out there who do do absolutely love Phantom Menace. My wife loves Phantom Menace, loves Jar Jar Binks, and I sort of accept her for that. <laughs> <laughs> I married her anyway. <laughs> yeah, they can't see what the face you're making now. <laughs> At least, she, at least she does like we just Star don't Wars. talk about yeah. it i did actually see somebody on facebook wrote uh i i don't like star wars you know and it was, it was like the this guy that i used to know he's now moved away but uh i don't like star wars i have no interest in seeing the movie and his wife on, on one of the comments wrote you think we should have talked about this before we got married <laughs> <laughs> it is sort of so a counseling uh, yeah, yeah no it's sort of a bullet point that's point. built-in child care okay peace out then i don't have to, you watch the kids i'm gonna go see right. star wars nine times 
Yeah, I know, but at least she does love Star Wars. She loves. So that's the thing is, is we still love our things. I loved Lost, and I just. I did not care for the ending. I don't think I've ever seen anyone who Sweet. actually <laughs> like the ending. And, the ending. and I don't, I don't mean it in any condescending way. I just, I've never met anyone who, yeah. who liked it. I know a lot of people who couldn't stand the ending, and they're right. still good friends of mine. Oh, so sure, right? Yeah, great. no, absolutely. It survived like like. the relationships. I am one hundred percent sure that I have disowned somebody over pop culture, but I. Now I have to think really hard about it. Right. I know I have. Mm-hmm. I know. I guarantee I'm exactly the personality type that at some point I was like, you're out of my life right now. <laughs> you're wrong. Get, you're yeah. wrong. You're so but wrong. I have to think about that it. That was me in my 20s. It, didn't, it like, didn't blip my radar enough to remember. Yeah, look, you can't control snap judgments about people. You're going to make them. But <laughs> if, you're, you know, if you can sit and listen to them, you kind of may, might respect where they're coming oh, from. Oh, now you're least, just but. sounding like an adult. Yeah. <laughs> Check the birth certificate. <laughs> I know. Well, no, a, I think that's it's adulthood. A big exactly I'm, I'm sure there are going to be people like. who are going to d- dislike this Star Wars, and there's you know like there were people who disliked the Star Trek trailer that just came out. I loved it, uh, but apparently there's a whole slew of people on the interwebs. I still haven't seen it. That didn't Coke like eaters. it. They opposed it. George Takei opposed it. And, um, really? Yeah. I'm like, well, I haven't what did you hate? It was a trailer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I tra- stand against this trailer because the decisions it's the on internet. trailers are hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It looked fun to me. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. It's like, okay. Uh, but it's a trailer. Anyway. Um, any other questions? Did you read Seven Ups by Neil Stevenson? No, I, I, I read some St- Stevenson, but I can't remember again. This is his newest one, and we'll talk about it. Sorry, I just wanted to know. Excellent. Yeah. Talking. It's essentially a book about the moon. The moon explodes, having catastrophic consequences. Which Because it would, yeah. It yeah. took me, and I, I read about a book every two days. It took me three weeks. Oh, see. It is a tome. And that's what. And it is incredible that's one of my i wasn't a big fan of the movie the 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 time the time machine the the modern the more recent one that was about what 20 years ago or something like that and the only thing that really got my attention was he goes so far into the future and they've got this base on the moon and it explodes and and that's how basically civilization ends on earth is because it explodes and of course that would cause tidal waves eventually eloy come out and all that you know that's how they explain how hundreds of thousands of years later there's just the Eloy and the the okay, the, yeah. the Minoc my, Morlocks. 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 Thank you. Oh, yeah. Right. <clears throat> but I, yeah, if the if the Earth were if the Moon were to explode, no HG that Wells was over here for you, Nikki. I, have I no guess idea not. what's going on. Okay, I'm we gotta get listen. you to read HG Wells. Yeah. You're like getting me to read. And Seven Abs is <laughs> it's an audio book. Mind blowing. They're developing it into a um, a <clears throat> either a mini series or a movie. Oh. already, and it just came out in May. Uh, the, and and that's what I was going to say was, was about talk things you read as a a kid that you don't remember. There's apparently Shannara is coming out on NBC. Really? Yeah. Do you guys know the sword of Shannara, the Elstons oh, yeah. of Shannara? Well, NBC, I guess, on the whole Game of Thrones thing, has decided. Well, we want a fantasy series, and I guess picked the fantasy series that is thirty years old and has yeah. plenty of books behind it called Shannara. And so I thought, well, I need to reread The Sword of Shannara. So I'm rereading it, which, of course, it's high fantasy. Yeah, I only read the first couple. I didn't... I re- Well, that's... I, re- I, read I remember reading Sword ago. of Shannara. A long time ago. I remember reading Sword of Shannara, and as I'm rereading it, I'm going, oh, yeah, I sort of remember that. Of course, it's taken me three weeks now to... I've had to recheck it out from <laughs> the library. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's just... And I'm only like 100 pages in. Um, and I remember seeing Elf Stones of Shannara, which is the second book. I don't know if I actually read it. I'm prepared to let NBC do the heavy lifting for me on this one. And that I, so I'm trying to read Sword of Shannara because apparently it starts with Elf Stones. 
right. So I'd like to read Sword Wikipedia of Wikipedia is your friend. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's that's like, cheating. That's cheating. Like, that's cliff notes. I would never do that. Not on something like some that. Some things are better that way. Well, and there are some things I would do that with, but not with something that I want to actually read. Yeah, you hope that they are invested in the project and it's not just a copycat that, oh, we need a fantasy thing too. Well, I think it is. Well, uh, but I, but it won't. I don't think it will be like. I don't Game know. Of I'm okay with that. I think with sort of Shinar, or with what I remember from the Shannara series, you can actually put it on network television. You could not put Game of Thrones yeah, no. on network television. Uh, it just wouldn't work. It but would be five they, minutes. They long. found a series that, for one thing, the author's still alive, but there's, I think, seventeen, eighteen, some somewhere around there, books of Shannara. Yeah, there's a mm-hmm. shelf. They go forward. Shelf. They go forward like hundreds of years. Time, they go back hundreds it? of like, years. It's, like it's yeah. So they've got plenty of. Material mm-hmm. for to go if it's if it's good enough they can go several series but it's supposed to start in January. Huh, interesting. Cool. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna let them do the heavy lifting. <laughs> so, but it look it could be good. I don't know. Um, I like I liked I sort of Shannara, uh, but again that was, was high kid. fantasy when I could sit and read high fantasy. Oh, it's hard. Yeah. A lot harder now than, <laughs> than it was when I was a kid. So, anyway, any other questions, answers, thoughts? Anyone want a mint? All right. We're going to go see Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see Star Wars. You want to come yeah. with us? You should come with us. Totally I've already Have seen, seen it. it yet? So, so, we, so has half of the people that were supposed to see it brand new today. <laughs> but, but my son has seen it. That, was that is what's deal. exciting. I am very excited. to. It's actually better to see something a second time because then yeah, you get to enjoy the reactions of people. After like, you know, this part's gonna be great. I can't well, don't. I would never do that. I promise you, I will not have any. I would do it at the never. wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> this part's gonna be awesome. You're and gonna want to cover like your a, eyes. You know, just a <laughs> landscape for three. How awesome was that? What was, are you? Wasn't yeah. that amazing? I would just yeah. have a really good time. Yeah, it's probably that. some developmental deficit, but I have a hard time. I, things that I like, I have to see twice because the first time I, I just think, "Oh, that was awesome," and then if I try to tell somebody about it, I can't remember anything that actually happened. So. Seeing it twice kind of locks it in my locks head. It, it does help. Yeah, like, I, this is the only, but this true. is the only thing I've actually immediately said. I've, I've got. I knew I was going to see it a second time, but I also thought if I wasn't, I'd be going to see it a second time because mm-hmm. it's it just there's there's more to it. I think, and I'm looking forward to seeing it a second time because I'm sure there's stuff that I missed. So. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. All right. Well, that's going to be our show. Clueless two times in the opening weekend. That's Clueless. right. Bring it full circle with last episode. That's right, Emma. <laughs> Emma, your favorite. My only. I'm applauding <laughs> right here. <laughs> I went through Lost again, so there's that. That's impressive, too. I don't it, yeah. think I, c- I want to, actually. You watch like the arrive. entire series a second time. You just want to spend the heart, experience the heartbreak again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah I binged, no, I don't. I, binged the whole I mean, thing. Wow. Lost, you are dead to me. But, if I, but I've thought about maybe I should go back. And give it all. Now that I know, and that's one thing I, 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 I could do. The first I, don't, I don't have enough time. I, there's I don't nothing. Have enough there's life. no series. I don't think there's any series that I would actually go back and. Well, I don't say that because I'll watch. I watch Doctor Who just about any time. But right. <laughs> but to actually watch binge watch a, uh, a series again, boy, that would. It, it, I'll I'll say for that one in particular is really interesting because knowing where it was headed yeah. and knowing what was going to happen, watching what the characters were doing on the way to that, I thought was. A completely different experience than yeah. not completely, but it was a really different experience than when I was just breathlessly waiting week to week to mm-hmm. see what was going to happen. So this time it was much different, and I thought 
thoroughly enjoyable, but it was a, it was just different. Yeah, it's it's because you know what's coming. Bound to be a I know what's coming. I know you know what the I, I, I exactly know, you know right. where we're. I have no. I have never. And I don't even think the writers <laughs> knew where they were going. Stop it, so, Sorry. There you go. <laughs> but no, I mean it's because of our guest. <laughs> I went on for an hour about some, about particular shows, so I'm not. I don't want to seem hypocritical. Stopping that. It's just because of our guest. Okay. <laughs> and also, I do want to apologize. Apparently, I I, I misspelled Jane Austen in a tweet earlier oh I poor said, jane in, in, in honor of jane austen's birthday 240th birthday <laughs> re-listen to our podcast and, and tell her, in honor of jane austen's birthday it. let's spell her name correctly i'm like well yeah my autocorrect went to yeah. austin texas rather than jane austen with an e anyway uh that's our show uh, <laughs> 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 thank you so ending. much for with listening my, with my Solid correction ending. Hey, uh, hook us up on Twitter. You can follow us there at Okie Geek Podcast. You can like our Facebook page, which Nikki runs, and you can uh, send us a comment, Podcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Hey, and thank you for your questions this week, listeners. Yeah, we appreciate you. your Wonderful. assistance. And I think next time we're going we're gonna to try and meet over the Christmas break and just talk pop culture of 2015 and what we're looking forward to in 2016. So if you have any ideas on what we can talk about, we would love to hear from you either through our gmail.com or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, Tad, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Oh, gosh. Um, let's see. I, I, I am on Twitter. Um, <laughs> not that much, but I'm on Twitter uh, at, at Tad Thurston. And um, what? Well, I guess that's about it. You have a Facebook page? Uh, I do have a Facebook page. Um, that's right. So you can find me there. And then, oh, uh, also, I'm writing a set of notes for introductory astronomy, as if anyone would be interested. Um, but that is the only thing I would understand um, is introductory yeah. astronomy, right? <laughs> uh, and that is at uh, accessibleuniverseblogspot.com. Uh, it's a set of blogs. Um, <gasps> cool. But, uh, awesome. Trying to make free the available resources for students around the world. Sure. That's awesome. That's pretty See? great. And not just students, but anybody who wants to just know right. about astronomy, which is a fascinating, a fascinating subject. I love it. Devin, where can people find you? I am at Wubba, W-U-V-V-A on Twitter. Nikki? I'm at Retro Robinson and also on the Facebook page. There you go. Josh? At Joshua Unruh. <laughs> Anywhere. I'm not going to spell it. There you go. Joshua Unruh. You can figure it out. Yeah. I'm at KOSU Michael C. Be sure and subscribe to this podcast. Also, rate us and leave a comment. Until next time, along with Tad Thurston, I'm Michael Cross. I'm Devin Green. Nikki Robinson. And I'm Josh Unruh. Reminding you to keep calm and geek on.